What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. My first deployment was down there to Panama, and I spent, um, I spent a lot of time in that region. I mean... If there was something bad happening, I usually was either in on it or we got there right after it. Mm. And, you know, it was a it was a wild, wild west type of an environment compared to what it is now. Let's go. Welcome to Citizen. We've got a special guest today, former Navy CEO from Triton Concepts, Jeff Gonzalez. How's it going? Going great, Dan. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Uh, it's a little rainy outside, but <laughs> you know, we're not quite under attack yet, so I'm still enjoying that. Uh, although that is coming soon, I think. Um, <clears throat> so tell me about uh, tell me about where you grew up. I grew up uh, not too far from here, Texas boy, Central Texas, mm. born and raised. Count myself lucky to have had the childhood that I had. What do you mean by that? I was uh, one of those kids that parents kicked you out of the house, locked the door, pointed to the garden hose, lights came on at night, that was dinner, if yeah. you missed it, you had to wait until breakfast, so I kind of bitched about it at the time, but looking back, realized how fortunate I actually was. Yeah, I mean, um, a little self-reliance is not a bad thing, huh. I suppose. Um, we are, we uh, have you ever seen the show Arrested Development? Yes. We're we're raising a generation of Buster Blues yes. right now. It's just like completely useless people. Um. So, what? Uh, Central Texas. Yeah. Yeah. Austin or thereabouts. Uh, in between, I was like out near Bernie. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, it's has it always been this hot? Because it's pretty fucking hot. I I get that a lot. I get that a lot. Um, you know. I think maybe what's changed is the number of triple digit days. Mm. It's always been hot here, but I feel like we've maybe racked up more of those triple digits yeah. in a row or at a time period in a, in a in a season, if you will. I don't really think it's all that bad. It's just uh, you know the energy grid here sucks. That's oh, without a, that's a doubt, a problem. But other than that, I don't think it's that bad. Such a Oh, don't get me started on that one. That that is definitely. I mean, you know, obviously you've been here. You've lived mm. through like the last couple of chaotic weather-induced grid failures, and my biggest bitch is the um, they know what to do to fix it, mm. but they would rather not. Yeah, there was a. Let's see, what year is this? Thirteen years ago, there was a report done. Yeah. And funded then by the Texas State Legislature, uh, you know, it's easy to blame 
Democrats for all your problems when you live in Texas, I guess, but that they're not really in charge here. That's true. So that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, at any rate, we're not here to talk about Texas politics. Um, so how did, what made you decide to join the Navy, I guess, is a good place to start. Well, it wasn't necessarily the Navy uh, at the time. And you got to go back to that time period. I was like, um, graduated high school in 87. Mm-hmm. So around 86, the uh, career counselors were big back then. You know, they, you'd mm-hmm. go there, do your testing, your at, you know aptitude test to see what career path they would suggest or encourage you to go down. And every one of mine were always having to deal with something outdoors or something. I was I joke about it, but I never got doctor, lawyer, any of the prestigious, if you will, gener- you know, job options. And um, I started to really think about the military about that point. And for me, what I wanted to do was it was at a, it was at a period in my life where I wanted to test myself to see kind of what I what I could accomplish. You know, I swam and played water polo in high school. Mm. So, and at the time, there wasn't really a lot of resources available for for kids to learn about what options they had in the military. Um, you know, the recruiting office had a single pamphlet that was one side. It was two sided. One side listed Naval Special Warfare. Mm. The other side was the actual hard hat divers. So I took a chance on the Navy because the, the reason why I chose the Navy was there was just so little information about it. Like there was hardly anything about what, SEALs did. A uh, little bit of stuff was starting to trickle out from Vietnam. Uh, there was maybe about a handful of books, and that was it. So I figured that since they were the least known, least advertised, if you will, mm-hmm. that that made, that made it kind of perfect for me. Like, I sure. didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go at it. So that's what I did. I chose that. I, um, I was still too... I was underage to legally enlist, so I had to do the delayed entry mm-hmm. program. And when I did that, you know, I had also been chosen by, not chosen, but my head coach for the water polo swim program there thought I would make a good pentathlete. Mm. And uh, I'd never, I'd never, I didn't even know what a pentathlon was. So, one day he takes me to the headquarters, which happened to be at Fort Sam Houston, and I got a chance to mingle with a bunch of these amazing athletes. And it just so happened that two active duty SEALs were stationed there training for the pentathlon. Mm. And I got a chance to meet them, and it was the first time I actually met this this group that I was interested in. And it was an amazing experience that last it was like something like this. They had two desks slammed together just like this in a mm. military barrack style building. They were dressed up in, um, I don't even remember what they had on, to be honest, but when they stood up to 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 meet me, these guys were just like, I was like, that's it. That's what yeah. I want to do. I want to be just like those guys. Okay. So, so th- this is before, by the way, uh, just so in eight, you're, you're talking about 86, 87, that time yeah. frame. Um, most of my Navy SEAL friends joined because of Charlie Sheen, right? <laughs> which is pretty funny. But this that was 1990 when that movie came out, right? So you got in before that, and and it, it also a lot of a lot of my other friends who were Rangers or um, in the Special Operations Community or the 82nd Airborne, they joined because of Panama or something like that, yeah. or even le- lesser degree the Gulf War. But when Black Hawk Down have a lot of people join after that, 100 um, percent Battle of Mogadishu and shit. But uh, I think the only recent conflict we had had was Grenada. Yeah. 
right? 83. So you're, you're, you're like, you're coming in during a relative time of peace, but then stuff for the special operations community in the late eighties gets tuned up pretty quick. Fast. I got, um, like by the time I got to the team area, so, you know, I joined the Navy, went to a school, went to buds, got to, and you're an East coast guy, right? Yeah. I finished my, my naval career on the West Coast as an as a buds instructor, right. but I did all my operating time on the East Coast. But when I got to the team area, um, yeah, things were things were starting to stir. Mm. The low intensity conflicts that we all participated in were those kind of like uh, barroom brawls yeah. of the of the military. You know, you kind of would get in and get out kind of thing. And I was very fortunate that my first uh, my first deployment was to Panama. Mm. So, uh, what, what were you doing in Panama? Was it uh, anti Noriega stuff, or was it uh, down at Gulag at the School of the Americas? What were you doing? So, my SEAL Team Four was stationed. So that was our forward operating base, mm. Unit Eight. Because the Jungle Warfare School was down there, right? Yeah. yeah. So SEAL Team, you know, back in the day, for folks that don't know, kind of like how the SEAL teams are organized back then, we mm. were organized in AOs. So SEAL Team So like Special Forces is now. Exactly. Okay. So we had I didn't know that. SEAL Team Four had Central America, Central and South America. SEAL hmm. Team Two had Northern Europe. SEAL Team Eight was Africa and parts of Africa. They shared that responsibility. So like the, each team had their own AO that they specialized in. Hmm. So SEAL Team Four specialized in jungle warfare, which was perfect for me because that's that those were the 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 legends, if you hmm. will, that I got to follow and learn from. Um but yeah, my first deployment was down there to Panama and I spent um I spent a lot of time in that region. I mean, I think uh, if there was something bad happening, I usually was either in on it or we got there right after it. Mm. And, you know, it was a it was a wild, wild west type of an environment compared to what it is now. Like, I mean, I guess now we've kind of circled back because you got the total destabilization of Venezuela, which, you know, when I was there, when I was in Venezuela, you started to see the anti-American like that was the first time I ever traveled someplace and saw American hatred for the yeah. first time. The Soviet stuff runs deep there, still, yeah. even to this day to some degree. It's true, and there was a and you know again if you just if you put a little time and effort into studying a little bit of history and like who and who helped them mm. to evolve to the <clears throat> to their status, you can kind of figure out a lot. <laughs> so it was an interesting time period. That is for sure. I was very blessed and lucky and fortunate to. Um, to get a chance to do so many really cool things, mm. be a part of some historical things. And then, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, it was the first time, my first deployment was also the first time that I actually had to bury a teammate. So that was kind of a, an, not an interesting, but just something you don't really think about when you're young and sure, full yeah. of it. You're just, you know, 100 miles an hour with your hair on fire. And then all of a sudden you slow down long enough to to bury somebody and it's, it's impacting. Um, are the are the teams still set up that way, or is it? How, how, how are they, I don't really know how they're organized. So now, now, so in anticipation of some of the shit that was going to happen, which we mm. now look back and see it, um, one of the biggest problems that we had back then was, I mean, we were on our own. Mm. Like it was nice to put up a, a con op that said, "Hey, you know, we'd love to have these assets come and support mm. us," but we were always waiting and hoping that those assets would actually come and help us. So, you know, we'd, we'd start with a air insert, then we'd mm. start with a boat insert, then we would walk in because everybody bailed on us. So what ended up happening, and the other thing too, is that I think Panama also shared this lesson learned is that, you know, I mean, the mission, you know, we can debate whether or not the merits of the mission were up our alley, 
But what they ended up doing was they ended up putting together what became what we call a task unit. Mm. And the task units were basically multi-platoons put together to to uh, basically have enough bodies to manage just about anything that mm. could be thrown our way. And that became the new era of the SEAL teams, what they called Task Unit 21. And, so the And was there like... You guys had slice out. You had support elements as well. You had breachers. You had oh, yeah. fucking uh, all this stuff. So we Comms were guys, we fire, were, fire support, all that. At that time, so that's the other thing. At that time, we were completely autonomous. So if we, if that's we, rough, man. Oh, it is because I like a bunch of my buddies who are JTACs who have embedded with uh, special forces teams are quite a bit more skilled than mm. their echoes on comms. I mean, it's like hundred percent night and day. And but not, not that the eighteen echo school is easy by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, but you're talking about. Um, you're talking about somebody who's really good at something, and then somebody who is excellent at something, which totally you know, different. It, and and then you you map that onto thirty, forty years ago, and you guys are just out there fucking in the wind. Oh, dude, it was, you know, like there was a, you know, like we were completely autonomous. And when I say that, if we wanted close air support, we would send our guys to close air support school. Then they would liaison with the close air assets, and then we would bring them in. But like you're saying. <laughs> it's a part-time job for me yeah compared yeah. to having somebody that that's their bread and they, butter yeah they eat and breathe that shit. exactly so and it was nice to co-mingle mm. with these guys and get a little bit of insight into it and it obviously helped <clears throat> to diversify our skill sets and create some new mission profiles for us but again the task unit what, what made the task unit successful was it brought in a lot of other assets so we had our own we had pretty much everything. Basically, a SEAL team now will get up and forward deploy as a as an entire team, including the commands. Mm. So all the command structure all the way down. Which then, because when we got in theater, a lot of times we'd have a platoon OIC, which might be an O three, mm. that would have to go and sit in on meetings with like O sixes, and it's kind of hard to sit there as an O three and fight for things that you want or need with O sixes. So now we deploy with an O six who can sit at the table and say, Yeah, that's not what we do. We do this. That makes sense. It makes total sense. And the 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 now that the the theater has changed, the the war theater has changed, I'm not sure exactly what's gonna happen. I know there were some complaints because in doing so, we lost some capabilities. By going into that kind of task unit configuration, we lost some some capabilities. I don't know if you saw, I was reminded of this. Like I woke up the next day to a text message from a mutual friend, um, Tim Kennedy, where, uh, you know, the, the dive contest, the special forces dive contest was, you know, we lost. And so I'm like, that's kind of embarrassing. It was embarrassing. When I showed up at sheepdog, I was like, I walked in and everybody, everybody, I was like, hey, did you hear the news? I'm like, yes. <laughs> like, I heard the news at 12 o'clock last night, so <laughs> thanks. But, yeah, so capabilities like that we lost. And, um, you know, that, I mean, you tip your hat to the guys. I mean, it wasn't, it's not an easy thing. They worked hard for that. Mm. It's not like we lost it. It's that they earned it. And so now, you know, when I look back at capabilities that we lost, such as that, you know, what are we going to do now? Mm. What does the future hold? And, and I wish I had answers I'm far enough removed from the community that I can bitch without worrying about trickle down, yeah. trickle down weekend watch and shit yeah. like that. But at the same time, you know, it's still my community. It's still something that I'm a part of that's mm. a part of me. And I want to see the very best for them and for our future as, as a community. So it's difficult. We seem to have a, a big problem 
with both conventional and special operations forces uh, fighting the last war we were in. You Meaning? I mean? Like when we were um, during the Iraq invasion, especially cruising around in soft top Humvees and shit <laughs> like that. Um, and, and then the tactics as well. As well. Like it took us, it, it took a, a year or two to really learn like operating in a city. I think, you know what I mean? Like special operators had the good fortune of Being doing that before. Right. So but I true. think, I, I think the, I think especially 18th airborne Corps, which is the 82nd, which is where I was uh, 101st, third ID, 10th mountain, like most of the infantry units yeah. in, in our military are in there. Um, we didn't have enough expertise going house to house. I don't think it just wasn't part of what we normally did. And then the special operations community had to cover down on that in a big way. And it, and then I think it really affected our ability to be light and kinetic with our special operations for a while. I think that's a brilliant observation because one of the things that that tells us as a, as a, as a community and as a country is that we're slow to evolve. Mm -hmm. And I feel like war will expedite that evolution, but it expedites that evolution at a greater cost of loss of life. Mm -hmm. And so we're, you know, like we can sit back here and say things like, well, well, you know, like our, our lesson learned the, that whole cycle of guys that were on the ground, like when IEDs became so prevalent, mm -hmm. you know, the information that was being funneled back and the SOPs that were being advanced and adopted so that the next platoons that were going out had this information in, in, in their, you know, in their playbook, if you will, was, was awesome. I mean, we, we went from like, <laughs> like an 18th month cycle of something like that being actually adopted to 30 days. Yeah. I mean, or a less. asymmetrical warfare group helped. Yes. Um, oh yeah. A, a, a lot. I don't know actually when they came online. I think it was Oh four. It was, yeah, frame. it was well into, well into the ground yeah. campaign in Afghanistan. But we had, you know, my unit, when we were in Sadr city, we were in, we were there in seven and eight for the surge. Um, we had an a AWG element that was a couple of fucking, it was two, uh, Delta guys. Um, it was, uh, uh, a dev group guy and his combo guy. Nice. And then we had an FBI guy who was an expert on SSC, like search. Oh, I love right? that, man. I mean, that was, it, it, it was a huge benefit for us oh, to be able to have immediate, because we've got call the center for army lessons learned, which is a repository. It's a library, right? But how many, how many gunfighters are in the library? Yeah. Not enough. Yeah. Frankly, like you should, if you're, if you're out there and you're planning on being in the military, and you're not a student of military history, then you're fucked up. Um, just, just to be clear. But the reality of the situation is there's not enough of that going on. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Like the the, they're also the nice thing about what commands like that asymmetrical warfare group did for us is they broke through barriers mm -hmm. because you know it as well as I do that there was like this hoarding effect yeah. of keeping stuff yeah. close to the chest. <laughs> from our own not even within our i mean i saw it even one platoon to another mm -hmm. you know and i suppose there's maybe an argument that can be made about some value in there i don't know what that argument would look like or even what the value is but what i do know is that not sharing that information on a broader level does only one thing which is reduce our overall effectiveness yeah. and if we want to save lives mm -hmm. 
the only way to do that is by being better than what we are right now. Yeah. Satterley talks about that from his time at the unit too. Yeah. Like um, A Squadron was more this way, B Squadron was more this way, C Squadron was a little bit of a hybrid. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then when he set up D Squadron, it's like, all right, cool. We need to have all the best of all of of these things. Why would we not do that? And it's and it speaks to like how myopic are are the brasses in the military. They're risk averse and quite frankly stupid. Well, there's a lot. There are some good people like General Donahue. Love that dude. He he does a lot to uh, he like he can do what he can do in his billet, right? Which is controlled by the civilian leadership over the military and shit like that. But behind the scenes, he does a lot of stuff. Um, to make sure that his people are getting the right kind of training. But he's a rare breed, to be honest, man. And the only reason he's like that, he's a, he's the commander of Corps right now. The reason he's like that is because he grew up in the unit. Yeah. You know what I mean? You don't. Most officers just aren't going to get that experience. It, well, that's the thing that I was going to say. It's like, as a, as a new frogman, when I got into my first platoon, I, I was very lucky. First couple of platoons, I had some great O leadership. But I would, th- I would almost say that my first three platoons both the O's that we have were Mavericks, prior enlisted guys. And some of those guys had done some great stuff yeah. and were not just fresh off the boat. And the, the difference that I saw between that type of leadership and other leadership was a little frustrating. And, and so as those leaders continue to rise in the ranks and mm-hmm. eventually get to more powerful positions, and powerful is not the right word, influential positions. Yeah, yeah. They start to all of a sudden influence change down, mm. which I have I've struggled with that. I mean, one of the mm, one of my um, let's just say less than stellar character traits is not having the ability to not meter what I'm going to say, mm. and that periodically would get me in trouble because I would basically say things that I wasn't supposed to say because mm. that's not what you were supposed to say. Yeah, there was some sort of unwritten law or rule that no, you don't say stuff like that. You don't do that. And I'm like, why? Why are we doing it that way? Why? What? What's mm-hmm. like my my worst my worst my worst fear was that we were going to do something stupid because nobody was willing to question it. Isn't that the story of lemmings? Lemmings are those little creatures that keep walking forward <laughs> until they fall off the cliff, <laughs> and they just do what the guy in front of them is doing because that's the way it's that's done. The way, yeah, that's that, fucking stupid. It, it's so that's exactly it. And so it's not like we had. It's not like I didn't trust them. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to understand the why. Don't, if you can't give me the why, mm-hmm. why we're going to do this, then we've got issues. And well, if you don't give someone like your, your job as a special operator is to be a force multiplier, right? Hundred percent. Like if you, but if you don't have the information, you cannot be a force multiplier. It doesn't work like that. When when I was growing up in that type of culture, where it is a tip of the spear, and by tip of the spear that means the decisions are made at the tip of the spear, not at the back, and the what was what was embedded in me what was kind of like forged in me was my ability to make command level decisions right behind that trigger and the only way that i could do that is by understanding what we're trying to accomplish what's our goal what's our mission mm-hmm. what what is the commander's intent and when that was first explained to me it didn't make a lot of sense and then eventually as i started to, you know cuz obviously i was young and dumb and i would watch a lot of people around me and i would watch how they interpreted things how they responded to things what they did to prepare for things and it started to make more sense and and like in this day and age that is something that you see being adopted way more common in mm. corporate america 
the bottom-up approach versus a top-down approach. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by ghostbed.com forward slash drink it bros. Ghostbed. It's the best bed in the world. It's the most comfortable. Sheets, pillows, the whole thing. I've got them all, man. And, you know, they wanted to extend their best possible offer to drink it bros. They've been with us for a very long time. So this is the email they sent us. We want drink it bros to get the best offer. So I updated the code for 50% site wide. That's five zero percent site wide. Use the code drinking bros, drinking bros with no G for 50% off site wide. Everything that you buy on this site is going to be 50% off. Again, they got the best, pillows sheets mattresses they get the mattress protector uh if you're if you're sloppy and spill things and you don't want to jack up your mattress they have pretty much everything you need they've got weighted blankets now they've got the adjustable base which we really like i've got one in my home so go to ghostbed.com forward slash drink it bros use the code drink it bros for 50 percent off site-wide and don't forget about their pay-as-you-go plan if you're with approved credit you're going to be able to pay this thing off over the course of three to five years for 25 to 35 bucks a month. It's nothing. Go to ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros today and use the code drinking bros for 50% off. This episode is also brought to you by blackriflecoffee.com. The best coffee in the world. As a matter of fact, they won both the gold and bronze medal at the Golden Bean Awards this year for their exclusive coffee club entries in the elite category. So the best coffee on earth literally was Circus Bear by Black Rifle, one of their ECS. So I recommend that you go sign up for the Black Rifle Coffee Club. Use the code CITIZEN. You're going to get those points off. And, uh, you know, you get all the benefits from being in the coffee club. You get the free shipping. You get access to all the partner deals. Uh, uh, you get access to the exclusive coffee club. You get access to any new products that come out before anybody else does. You know, it's a very large club that they have over there. And the coffees are premium. Every single one of them is good. Uh, you, you're going to get experience for you. You can do just the plain coffee club. And if you want your two bags of, of uh, espresso or your two bags of silencer smooth or whatever it is you drink, you can get those two bags or one bag or whatever you want every month or and or rather you can use the ECS, the exclusive coffee club and get access to some of the most premium coffees on the planet and kind of learn what it is that you like. You know what I mean? So then you can order those premium coffees from Black Rifle as well. So, and we all know they got the best branding, the best merch, and their buddies. You know, we're all friends here. Uh, we love Black Rifle. So go to blackriflecoffee.com, sign up for the coffee club, or buy something. Do whatever you want. Um, use the code CITIZEN. You're going to get those points off. This episode is brought to you by firstform.com forward slash citizen. Free shipping on all orders over $75 when you use the link. And you're not going to spend less than 75 bucks. I mean, they get the best products in the world, especially the OptiGreens. You know me, I don't eat vegetables um, because they're fucking pointless. So I supplement with OptiGreens 50 from First Form. It is precisely formulated green superfood powder meant for overall immune system support and digestive health. It's really good, aside from just getting the daily greens into your body that you need, and make sure, by the way, you're taking this with MCT because you have to take anything like this with MCT. 80% of your immune system is located in your gut and your digestive tract, right? So healthy digestion is essential for overall health and wellness, not to mention that most of your serotonin, I think 96% of your serotonin or 94% is made in your gut as well. So you're gonna be in a better mood. You're gonna feel better physically, and you're going to feel better mentally if you are taking these greens. OptiGreen 50 has 50 chosen ingredients. 
uh, effectively dose. It's not necessarily how many ingredients there are though, but it's a, it's about the right amount of each taste and texture. Not like no other product in the market. It's not gritty. It doesn't have a weird flavor. It's got sweet berry flavors. Actually, uh, 100% of the greens are all grown and manufactured inside the United States and they are bioavailable. Now they've got other products as well. They've got the micro factor, which you see behind me on every show. Uh, and I take them every day. You know, you got essential fatty acids, CoQ10, you get all the stuff you need in one little packet for your daily vitamin pack. And you mix that, you, you make yourself uh, uh, OptiGreens 50 shake and you, and you take those pills with it and you're gonna improve your life precipitously. You're gonna feel better, you're gonna look better, so on and so forth. So go to firstform.com, that's one S-T-P-H-O-R-M.com forward slash citizen, use the code, you're gonna get free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. And we went from, I think the GWAT in some regards was was a bit of an expediter for this. You know, necessity is the mother of invention. But <laughs> we went from, uh, we went from shooting with our hand wrapped around the magazine well, uh, to our, you know, to a forward grip, and then to you know a grip with the thumb out. Within over the course of what ten years, yeah, maybe? which is like in military terms, that's that's, that's like, what I'm saying. That's like traveling the entire universe. That's you know a, that's I mean? that's that could be sometimes an entire career for somebody. Mm, yeah, and and it's frustrating because when you think about things, one of my one of my charters that I would tell guys whenever I was sending them out to to go to a school, mm. listen, I don't care what they I don't care what they tell you to do, you do it, mm. whatever it is. We'll evaluate it and we'll make a decision. Mm. But your job is to take as much information as possible, bring it back, allow us as a collective to us to to assess that and determine whether or not we want to implement it. Right. And it it was it was it was hugely valuable because like, I don't care. Do whatever he tells you to do. If he tells mm. you to do it, do it. Don't be a dick about it. No. Learn. Open your mind and try to take as much information. And when we did that, all of a sudden. We figured out how to, because you know, otherwise you're just a blunt force instrument. That's the whole. That's the whole point of the train the trainer model, though. It that, should be. That was the whole point. Like we did. Uh, I went to squad uh, designated marksman. That was the whole point of that. Was for me as an NCO to fucking learn these skills to make me a better shooter and then come back and teach everybody. It wasn't. It was. It's not a badge school. It's just yeah. somewhere you go learn some shit and come back. Yeah. Right. Um, and if it fits your TTPs, it does. Great. Right. Like if you're a. We 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 primarily did raids at night, you know, and then we did oh, patrols man. during the day a little bit, but we primarily did raids at night. So there's not that much use for a designated marksman, to be honest. But no, we still true. had better shooting skills, right, yeah. than we had before. And our guys that were up in turrets of Humvees and shit like that, uh, who we were giving our fucking 21s to or whatever uh, platform we were using at the time, or our guys back at the base, our sniper section back at the base, um, or out in town, if we're if we're trying to you know pop people putting in IEDs or mortar sites or something like that, you know they they improve from all that stuff too. You know, 100%. It's, it's it's a meritocracy ultimately, but you can't have a meritocracy unless you have all the information. Well, that was the thing that bothered me the most was when we started to um, selectively choose the information we wanted. But what was the selection criteria, right? That that's what always bothers me because yeah. if somebody can't explain why, yeah, if the explanation is like you're talking to a child, like because I said so, <laughs> I'm like fuck no, we're not that. That's not that's not gonna fly with me. I'll it, walk the fuck out of here. It's I'm not doing so that. like, so you know, flash forward to my date, where what I do right now, and you know, my current profession, mm. basically, I'm an instructor, and 
I cannot tell you how many times, you know, you, you hear that, you hear, you know, there's no stupid question comment from a lot of people. And I'm like, yeah, there are stupid questions out there, but it's, it's how you choose to answer them that makes mm-hmm. them stupid or not stupid. But well, yeah, a stupid question is like, from, from my perspective, because I've done a lot of training as well, not just in, you know, tactical shit, but thinking, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like, what, what, what is this person trying to learn? It yeah. doesn't, the question is sometimes irrelevant. It's like, this isn't necessarily an answer to your question, but what you're trying to learn is this. And you can do that, right? Totally. The other thing, too, that is very important as an instructor is that questions that you get asked are insight into the information, the message that you're transmitting, mm. and how well it's being received or not received. If you're getting these questions, that should tell you that your message is not being received. Right. And yeah, you yeah, yeah. you need to adjust. Clarify how Exactly. Mm. You need to adjust how that message is being. And that means that I've got, I'm going to say the same thing. I'm going to show you, tell you, walk you through how to do one task, but I'm going to have to show it, tell it, and walk through five different versions of it because I got five different people that are learning five different styles or have that have five different learning styles. And and I think that was the that was the big lesson that I learned in the military career when I transitioned into the instructor role uh, while I was still on active duty. Yes, I need you to just go out and do something that's completely stupid and un un that you know it's just it's just to ensure that mm. you are gritty enough to actually be here right like but, how many times are we going to shoot with iron sights in our life yeah not not frequently not, to be honest I mean, these days this is a bit back when you were in probably oh. a lot more but uh, <laughs> these days this is not gonna but you gotta you gotta know yeah gotta that's know. true i laugh because the very first red site that i use red dot if you can even call it that was this monstrosity of the device i'm not kidding you it was probably about maybe a little bit thinner than this topo chico bottle and I had to put it. I had to. I had to use it on an MP5. And oh my god! Oh yeah! There's not even a rail on that goddamn. No, thing. we had to put. There's a special. There's a special mount on the MP5. There's two claws on the mm-hmm. top receiver, and there's a special. Only HK makes this mount. Nowadays, <laughs> of course, yeah. they have, of course, you know. Yeah. Nowadays, you can get it for anything. But back then, there was. And so, trying to get one of those mounts was like, it's like, good lord. And uh, I got one, and then I was mounting that. Uh, that. I don't even think of it. I don't even think it was called an aim point back then. I don't even remember what it was called, but it was just just ginormous. But what's interesting was, even though the concept was far from complete, mm-hmm. the idea of what this allowed us to do, yeah. which was to operate more effectively at night, right? That was the key. Like iron sights mm-hmm. at night are tough. Not yeah. gonna lie, yeah. they are tough. They, it can be done, and you, we did it for a long time. But you're just pointing and shooting. Exactly. I mean, you're, you may as well be shooting a handgun at that it's, point, it's, right? It's a very tricky thing. Mm-hmm. This was a piece of technology that I recognized at that point in time, and I was like, "Okay, this thing sucks, mm-hmm. but I love the idea." Yeah. Where are we going to see? What are we going to see? And to flash forward thirty years—well, maybe not thirty years, but twenty-ish years—and it's it's crazy to see that. Yeah. Now we have red dot. I can't remember what the phrase for it is, but what's the red dot site where it doesn't matter which way you're looking through it; it's always on target. You know what I mean? There's a name for it. I can't remember what it's called. Well, the reflex site is maybe what you're referencing because like the very first time i actually saw a reflex site in in operation i was actually down in peru parallax that's it oh okay yeah yeah, yeah. 
So I was down in Peru and we were working with the counter our counterparts down there and mm. they had this South African drum gun, 40 mic mic drum mm. gun. Oh shit. Oh fuck, dude. That it was a six ra- Oh dude. <laughs> that's like that's like Arnold Schwarzenegger in fucking T2, right? Isn't oh, that dude. the one he had? It might have been. I, I think it was. I know he he may have had the 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 HK version. He might have been, but this was a South African mm. model and what it had was it had this um the very first reflex sight which was this fiber optic tube on the on the you know upper receiver. And, you know, the we would swap, right? So on this side of the range, we had our team with the M203s and M79s. Mm-hmm. And over here, we had this this one dude that had wow. this drum gun. And so we, we swapped, and I went over there, and I started working with this guy. And they had targets, buildings, building targets that were set at like 100 all the way out to like about 400 yards. And, you know, they had windows and doorways. That's a good sh- shot with a, oh, yeah. with a 40 with mic an, mic, dude. Fuck. That's a good shot. <laughs> it is, it's an area weapon. So that's, yeah. the, that, that, that's that one helps. thing. Yeah, but put it but, through a window at that the, range? Exactly. That's a lot. Oh, dude, you talk about pain. Mm. And um, so we're over there shooting those M203s with the, with the remember those leaf sights? And mm. the M79s were actually pretty accurate. You could put some hate on with mm. that M79, but it's a single breech loaded device yeah. but a 203 mounted on the bottom of an m4 or m16 is bullshit it's, <laughs> it's just like i mean it's close in it's like i use them for close in work that's yeah. all i used it yeah. for but what was what, what i was watching these guys from the other side they were on the left flank i'm on the right flank i'm watching them they're just fucking launching these rounds these these practice rounds mm. through the doors through the windows through the through the windows at like the 100 150 yard mm. targets and through doors at like 200 plus and i'm like trying to do and now i'm getting pissed mm. i'm like what the fuck why can't i do that mm. And when I went over there to see what this thing was, I mounted it up in my shoulder pocket and I'm looking through it. And, and I back then I would shoot with my left eye closed. Mm. So I had my left eye closed and he, the, the poor guy was trying to tell me in his broken English, you know, two eye, two eye. Mm. And I kept, I was like, what, what does he mean by two eye? And then mm. finally he explained it to me in Spanish. And I was like, I opened my eye. And when I opened both eyes, it was like, Boof. And dude, it was just like one after. It was almost yeah. like you couldn't miss. Well, now there's the M320. I don't think I've seen that. It's the new HK version of the 203, right? Ooh. And it's you you lays the target, and then it has green dots on top and bottom to tell you when you're aiming correct. It's oh fucking stupid now. Like you, de- if you miss with that one, then you're you're in fucked. trouble. Yeah, man. I, I HE and me, oh, I got a lot of love for that HE. Yeah, uh, it's. It's a problem solver. It's such a sure. problem solver. <laughs> Even if you don't have a problem, it will solve whatever yeah. that problem would have been. Yeah. I love them. Ugh. So you were in the um, you were in the team's late eighties through the end of the well, I guess ninety nine. Yeah, ninety nine. You yeah. but you were uh, you were an instructor for some of that, right? Yeah, the last three years out there <clears throat> at Buds. Um, it was interesting too because. I mean, you guys got a lot of work in the '90s. There's a lot of shit going popping off in the in Africa. We bit. had, yeah, Middle I mean, East, South America. There um, was all sorts of crazy yeah. stuff happening. I mean, shit, even Kosovo, Serbia. Yeah, kind of towards the for end sure, the absolutely. You know, and which is about to pop off again. Again, now. and and th- those were all things that were all rest- not restricted, but were all set up in that um, AO kind of configuration. So you know, things that were happening mm-hmm. in Europe were still Team Twos. Things that were happening down in Africa that was still Team Eight. You know, so still Team Four. Once the war on drugs, which was the big thing, you know, narco terrorism yeah. was that was that was a the heyday thing, man. Once the shift in the war on drugs kind of started happening, and we went from narco terrorists to Islamic terrorists. It, it didn't die down because shit was still crazy down there, but the focus for the community started to change. And you could start to see it at that point. Um, 
and you started paying more and more attention to the terrorist activities that were happening. Yeah. I mean, once once uh, Pablo got clipped in 93, it was pretty much all Middle East after it, that. It was 100%. That 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 almost was the 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 end of an era right yeah. there. Because Well, and then Bin Laden bombs the fucking World Trade Center basement well, that same year too, so I'm sure that had something to do with it. Probably, but the other thing too, <clears throat> what I what I saw was we wanted an out. Mm. You know, that was a long, that was like the war on drugs was just not going to go down. It was, just, yeah. it wasn't going to go the way we wanted it to yeah, go. No drugs matter. won. They did. And they will always win. There's no way to beat that. The way that at that, the strategy that we were using at the time, abstinence and prohibition, it's yeah. like, <laughs> ugh, Good luck. I don't know, man. I, and I was all for it. I'll tell you right now, I was all for it. I was like, yeah, this is the way we need to do it. Let's go. Mm. Let's fucking hunt these things down. I mean, dude, I mean, the shit that we burned and blew up and all that stuff down there. Didn't do shit. <laughs> Didn't do. It was a drop. You can't in the burn it fast enough. There's know. no way to. And you know the problem that we ran into, and we saw this in Afghanistan, was with the, you know, with all the villagers in the remote parts of that region. Their only way of making money is growing opium, yeah. growing poppy, and yeah. selling it. And that's that. You know, we wanted. And I remember when we first tried to go in there and try to change that change that and like did we not learn anything from central and south america because this shit if we want them as our allies <clears throat> that's not how it works that's not how this is going to work we can't tell them to hey stop stop trying to feed your family yeah and i mean after the initial couple of years maybe after the first year in both iraq and afghanistan we weren't we to some lower degree we were fighting actual terrorists but it started to feel like we were just fighting criminals, like we were cops fighting criminals. I know point. exactly what you're saying. You know what I mean? It's like totally. Well, and then then you think, you know, how much of this are we creating by not by like taking and especially in Afghanistan, yeah. these people have been growing and selling poppy for longer than our country Dude, has been a country. For you know sure. What I mean? So what are we thinking here exactly? And the thing that I always had a problem <clears throat> with, like why didn't our- we why didn't we buy it from them? And manufacture our own Percocet instead of buying it from fucking China. For example, like I'm not trying to. a good idea. I'm not trying to armchair quarterback this shit, but there's fucking pretty simple solutions to some of this stuff. So so that I and I think that's the the thing I value most about that statement is the simple fact that it is an out of the box idea. And the problem that we had was we stopped. There were certain people within the administration that stopped accepting or welcoming or even encouraging out-of-the-box thought processes it had to be here and part of that had to do in my opinion part of that had to do with the fact that okay we're in a full fledged you know we're in a full-fledged war uh we've got we've got certain things that we have to accomplish certain check boxes that have to be checked now Mm -hmm. because we're in it's no longer low intensity conflict we're in an actual war yeah right and the problem that i feel is that we forgot what it was like to be in a war like a real war. And yeah. we we had bad choices that we were making at the beginning, I thought, that were because we, we, we had forgotten what it's like to be in a war. And that's, that's not how, like, we win wars very simply by when diplomacy fails, the military leaders have, mm. all they should already have, and because they should be anticipating that diplomacy is going to fail, and they already have the plan laid out. It, it The plan does not come from Congress yeah, I certainly fucking hope not. <laughs> but that's what it—that's what I, yeah, it seems yeah, like. Yeah. It seems like that's oh well. I want you to do this and do that because the first time that I got exposure to um, political influence in a war theater was actually in Panama. 
the very first time that I'm throwing rounds downrange, right before, I'm not shitting you, minutes before being inserted, we were told that we could not use HE because they were worried about collateral damage with the associated, you know, everything that was, because, you know, that was an urban fight of sorts. Mm. So there was a lot of collateral damage potential. And rather than trust us to know that we can do our job well and that we were trained well to do our job, they just took HE off the table. You're talking about 89, the, the invasion to unseat Noriega. Yep. Wow. AT4s, really. Laws, 40 Mike Mike, all that stuff off the table. And the, the this is on an airborne insert, right? Well, you guys, mm. you guys were a uh, boat insert, right? We did for the airfield. And yes, then Rangers jumped in, eighty second jumped in, and I yes. think some uh, uh, unit and special forces guys jumped in as well. Maybe I'm not I don't, I don't remember that, but, but I, you guys, we were. got, we we went in. There, so there's no reason that we couldn't bring that stuff. Yeah, there's like no, what, what happens if you run into something? You got a demo. You're fucked. You just got to. Well, so we could we like you can use we could use. There, you know, there were like when we got there, and and I, you know, it, to be like my my involvement in the entire invasion happened off the airfield, but I was there watching it all happen from my little perch where I was at, mm. and um, you know, we're I'm in a two man team, and they told us that we couldn't use any he. I'm like. What the what? What am I going to use? What, what if you run into an APC? Or well, the whole something? thing, the, the whole fuck? part where where or we were. Technical. What the fuck? Our yeah. my so my job was uh, one of the reasons that um, I got a chance to do this was because I was one of the guys that actually had the you know the close air support mm. um, coverage, and I got lucky because while I was down there before the invasion kicked off, I did a lot of flights in Spectre mm. to kind of become even more familiar with yeah. them, <clears throat> and. One of my jobs was to recon a, 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 a bridge that was part of a route that reinforcements would take to get to the airfield. And my job was to keep eyes on that. And sure as shit, you know, they, they came. And our job was to call in Spectre and just have them nuke the bridge. You know, and just that would that would mean that they would have to take another route. They would give them mm. like an hour. That would buy them an hour of time on target. As opposed to like maybe the twenty minutes that they were that that route would take them, and um, you know, and I'm like, I was just like, well, why don't we just have Spectre just take out all those vehicles, just fucking let just, them drive onto the bridge yeah. and then blow the goddamn bridge up? It, you know, all these rules, all these things changed in in real time, and it was just like it was baffling to me to understand like why are we doing that? Why? I mean, those are actual living bodies that were going to a target to to presumably kill Americans. Yeah. Why not just waste them where they are? Why are we doing this This uh, over... You don't need me on the ground for that. You don't mm. need me my eyes on target for that. You could... I, there's no reason for me to be there. Yet, you know, so like... I, yeah, there were no civilians on the way to that fucking airstrip. No. I, I mean, if they, and if there were, they're fucking dummies. That, on that route, that route went right by the coastline. There was... A, it, the, we, we, we basically inserted in via an indigenous craft mm. swam ashore set up our F our op overlooking the bridge on the airfield side and waited and i mean there was nothing there i mean there was nothing until the truck showed up yeah <laughs> then it became a party <laughs> good lord yeah that's that seems kind of dumb i know that they uh i know that the brass 
wanted some of the current military commanders to take charge when Noriega was arrested. So maybe they were trying not to piss too many people off it's by possible. with high casualties, but still, you don't put lives at risk like Th- that. That was my biggest concern. Not not when, when not you, you don't let the enemy's QRF move freely. Well, my right? big it's the way that you said it. We're we're not we should not ever be making choices that put at risk American <clears throat> lives <clears throat> just because we're trying to create like extend some sort of courtesy. And that's what it seemed like to me. Yeah. And and I always I paid close attention to that as I moved forward and I you could see that kind of insidious behavior kind of I wouldn't say in every area, but you could see and because I saw it, I could see it in peacetime as well. Mm. And the effects of what it would do. And and I'm like, listen, that's this is my problem. This has always been my problem. Once the once diplomacy fails, you no longer have a say. Yeah. As you know, the the political arm, the 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 bureaucrats, the diplomats, if they've done everything that they truly can to try to resolve the issue in a peaceful manner, and they can't, then the point of military action is to be swift and decisive mm. and relentless until the goals and objectives are achieved. And then as a diplomat, you can step back in and start yeah. your diplomatic process all yeah. over again. Well, it's Mr. Miyagi, right? Don't fight, but if do fight, when? Fuck. Very, very wise stuff. It's like, uh, you can tell us where and when, but you can't tell us how. That's, that's we, we are the experts in, I, in turning this place into a manageable situation so you can come in and then do your job, exactly. right? And even in today's world, we still see little, you know, little remnants of that. You can start mm-hmm. to see people. You'll start to see the uh, the politicians that don't have the stomach for war when they come out. And I'm like, hey, you know what? Nobody, fuck. It's not like I do. Yeah, it's but I understand yeah. it. I understand it, and I understand that if we don't do these, if we don't take these steps, we in, we run the risk of a much worse outcome. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know. I get it. You don't like it. Fine. Nobody does. Mm. Show me somebody that actually likes it other than, you know, the the <laughs> other than the the vendors and the manufacturers. But um the point is, is that you can't do anything from your from your DC plot mm. other than wait until it's resolved. Yeah. Otherwise just, you know, don't ever think because I feel like what's happened is that the use of force has kind of lost its edge because we've watered it down through these hybrid kind of diplomatic process of continuing to stay involved politically through the war fighting aspects. And, you know, maybe, you know, maybe there's never going to be an, a different outcome. Maybe we're at a point now where that's always going to be the case, mm-hmm. where it's always going to be embedded, if you will. But but we're not diplomats. No. Like I mean, we're, we're the edge of the sword, man. You got to she, you got to use us, she us, and then get back to business. That's the whole point. You can't do this. And, the, and and what you hope for is that you hope that the results are so so impacting mm. that the future diplomatic relations are more effective because there is this historical perspective to draw on. Yeah, and we've lost that. Well, we were lucky in Panama because we had a very clear mission. Right? It is very clear. And that, that's like the, the guardrails provided by having a clear mission, I think, will, will you know, supersede or cover up some of these flaws it's that true. we have in our process. But, you know, the GWAT, saying that the mission is to democratize 
no. one of these places or that it is to stabilize Baghdad, right? What the fuck does that mean? You know what I mean? Like, how, how kill is, the enemy. I, is, I, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you because no, that no, just ahead. really, that really rubs me the wrong way. Yeah. Because how are we even trained to do that? Yeah. You know, I understand winning the hearts and minds. The SF mission is a beautiful mission. It's a wonderful mission. It's been successful in many ways, shapes, or form. But it is in a very small, that is a that is practical in a very small controlled environment. Mm. A city or a country, that's that's not our job. That's, that, that's not, like, and the other thing I learned too is not everybody wants to be an American. Not everybody wants the American life. And good for them. That's great. You don't have to. I'm not. But the problem is, I feel like we are forcing it on people. We're for, like Iraq was a perfect example. We forced that stabilization aspect, and I think you know maybe that's because some of folks, some folks in D.C. did not have the stomach for what we were trying to do, yeah. and they felt like this was a way to the olive branch. Well, we'll rebuild for you. We'll destroy everything, but we'll rebuild. So let us get in there and destroy everything. You know, yeah. kind of like the. Hey, we're going to give it to you, and we're going to put you in power after we leave. Yeah, sure. And that that doesn't make any sense unless you think of it from the perspective of the fact that these politicians in D.C. own stock and Raytheon, Boeing, General Dynamics, you know, Lockheed Martin, and so yeah. on. I try, you know, I try to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. I really mm -hmm. do, man. It's harder and harder these days, particularly when you start to see all that shady shit coming to the mm -hmm. surface. And it begs the question: How objective are they? How objective are how objective are they, and do they honestly have the best interests of American lives at, in in mind? And you know, one of the things that I, I remember, um, I got a chance to meet Colin Powell, and what struck me about him was his true, his heartfelt concern for all the men and women in his charge. Mm -hmm. And how knowing that he was sending some of them to their death. Well, he had been there. Exactly. It's a difference, right? Exactly. He was a, he was a second lieutenant in Vietnam, which is fucked, <laughs> right? <laughs> like that's the worst much, thing ever. Not yeah. much career stability there. Yeah. Well, there's not much chance of staying alive either. Exactly. That, but that was my point. It's like I learned a lot by watching him as he um, advanced in the political circles. And I didn't always agree with things that he said or did. Mm. But what I believed was that he still believed in putting American lives first and and making sure, knowing that these actions are going to cost the lives of Americans, knowing that it was worth it. Mm -hmm. and, and having a way to objectify that, like putting it on paper as to say, like, this is what it means to say that we won. Yeah. And now we're getting involved in another one with Ukraine, and it's like... I don't think – I'm a non-interventionist when it comes to the U.S. military at this point. Not not that I would always be like that. I do trend pretty libertarian, so I don't like that base in, in, a, in its uh, – uh, you know, intrinsically, I'm not a fan of that. But I don't think we should have uh, not gone to the European theater in World War II or to – like, right? We, yeah, we, it's we a had different. To, we had to do something there, certainly. But um, this one – these new interventions that we're involved in, we don't have any kind of like you can't you you can't use the military for diplomacy. It doesn't work that way. You can use That's, it for you can use it to to win things and then be diplomatic off the strength of that win. 
but you can't send us in while you're being diplomatic. Like diplomacy stops when we get deployed. So and it true. starts again when we win the conflict, right? I mean, it's 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 as old as time itself. You know, when you when you look at ancient warfare, you know, when when diplomacy failed, troops were sent in and they were sent in and and in some cases they were they were given instructions no quarter. Mm. For the simple reason that the politicians didn't want to have that conversation again. And whether that was right or wrong, they didn't have that conversation again. But when I see things happening right now, like Ukraine and our involvement, I quite, I, you know, my first question is why? Why are we involved? How does that benefit U.S. interests? And I'm not questioning whether or not it should or shouldn't benefit U.S. interests. Mm. I want somebody to actually, in plain English, explain it to the American people how does our involvement in Ukraine favor US interests yeah and I'm and don't well, give me you, this you, what you hear is the Russia is a is the boogeyman thing like come on they can't even beat Ukraine are you fucking kidding me dude bro we, we know this we've known this about Russia since World War II good at information operations good at spying pretty decent at building weapons uh, bad at infantry. They're not good at fucking war, man. They still and they, and you can see it right now on live on television. They fight wars like it's <laughs> like it's the 1950s still. I, you know, I. That's a good point. It's like if Russia came after us, we would annihilate them in a second, right? It's, so the only the only logical conclusion to that is some kind of nuclear conflict, right. which we're now stoking. So you and I, I mean? feel like I feel like exactly. I feel like Russia rode on the coattails of Mad. Yeah. You know, they they, yeah. they they were like, you know what? If we just put it's all mutually of, assured destruction for you guys out there in the audience. Thank you, thank you. But they 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 put all their chips on that card, and mm-hmm. good for them because I mean, look at how long the Cold War lasted, yep. and their and their ability to um, to live in their lifestyle the way that for as long as they did. But the problem with that is that they put all their money and all their great minds into the nuclear option as opposed to. How do we train our people to be mm-hmm. war fighters for when, when like, like, okay, so what if, and I think that's the difference between our mindset and their mindset is, you know, with, with the attack at Pearl Harbor, it became clear to us that we were vulnerable Yeah, and that changed how we looked at things dramatically and how, and how we continue to look at things. You know, I don't want to tell people never to fear an invasion, but yet here we have one. We don't like to call it an invasion, yeah. but that's exactly what it is. It just didn't look like the invasion we expected. Exactly. Right? That's my point. And, and, you know, so if you define the outcome and you look for the patterns, you'll see it. And that's what I see right now with the immigration that we have right now. It's it's another form of an invasion. People don't like to hear that. I don't care. It doesn't <laughs> matter if it's true. If it's true, yeah. then, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're, you're liking it or not doesn't make it true or false. Yeah. Yeah. And now... And, and I look, aside from all the reasons that we shouldn't be involved in it in the first place, we run into the same bullshit that we always do um, uh. since the GWAT began, which is what exactly what exactly is the desired end state? Like, that's what you give to a military commander. You say, hey, these people are acting up. We need them to – we need this end state. Yeah. Here you go. Figure out how to do it. Tell us what you need to get that done. I can't figure out what we're doing in Ukraine. Are we just going to keep funding the war until Ukraine is out of people? Because they've lost over half a million people already. Oh, my God. You know what I mean? Most of these people have no idea what they're doing. Not that they aren't brave and totally good, different. good for them for fucking 
standing up and fighting for their country, I would do the same. But I've, I've been trained to do that. You know what I mean? It's not the same thing. So my biggest bitch is... I feel like we're just feeding these people into a fucking wood chipper right now. I could, for what reason? So it's like you, you ask somebody in fucking D.C., like, why are we sending all? Why are we doing this in Ukraine? They're like, oh, it's a strategic thing for the United States, and it's worth five hundred thousand Ukrainian so, lives. Really? So here's a that? good here's a good way to look at that. All right, so let's take let's take hindsight. I know hindsight sucks, but let's we have it to to work with right now. Half a million people have died as a result of what's happened over the last two years, whatever however long it's been going on. Are you saying had we not had any involvement whatsoever? that those half million people wouldn't have died or would that number be more? My point is that the threat, whatever that threat was that caused us to get involved had this idea that we were saving the people, yet a half a million people have died in this process. Mm -hmm. So clearly whatever we thought we were getting involved in didn't turn out the way we expected it. And my my question is like, like when you get into this, you, 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 you touched on it. Like I want clearly definable objectives. Yeah. Tell me this. I want. I want. Congress says you need to. You need to wipe out their ability to wage war. Okay, great. From a military perspective, I can tell you what that means. That means I have to destroy this many tanks, mm-hmm. this many APCs, this many aircraft, this many vessels. All right. I need to reduce the actual able-bodied. You know. You know. Able-bodied arms to this. This amount. Whatever. Or that this infrastructure is. or whatever. Boom. Right. It's yeah. Easy. Yeah. At that point, it's super easy. And yeah. and now we're also smart. We're also fighting a smarter war because mm-hmm. now we can use our technology. To fight that war for us, we all we can also limit the loss of life even on the enemy side, right? That's another part. Like, well, what's the minimum? What's the what's the least amount of people we've got to kill to make this work? And, that's, th- and that should always be an objective. And I here's think. the thing: I don't expect that that that's going to resolve it in perpetuity. Mm-hmm. But what it's going to do is it's going to give generations peace, and then they will at some point, you know, the the factions will will collect again, and the they'll start beating their chests and eventually they'll rise up and it'll be in a, you know you'll see the same thing everything's cyclical and so what we did for them by taking that approach is that we gave them two or three generations of peace and prosperity mm. without us having to actually get in there and teach them how to build things teach them how to create a roadway or a, 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 a wadi or whatever mm. none of that shit that we should be doing <clears throat> i don't that, think the non-warrior understands any of this shit though i don't i don't think i don't think they can imagine shooters stopping to think about keeping body counts low, for example, because they think they just assume we hate the enemy. Like that dude is on the other side. Fuck him. I want him to die. Yeah. Because that dude's doing his job. Like I'm doing my job. Uh, right. You know what I mean? Uh, and I respect, I'll, I'll tell you this, this is not hyperbole. I respect my enemy quite a bit more than I respect any of these motherfuckers in Congress. Huh. You know what I mean? It's like, so, fuck off, dude. So They are doing something. Like, they're, they're going to fight the war in a way that, one, makes them look good, and two, fucking gets their buddies and, and the MIC paid, right? <sighs> that, that's what they're going to do. I, you and I are going to fight the war to make sure that there's the least amount of risk to our people and the least amount of death on the other side. That's how we'll conduct that war. And, and the thing about that type of mindset that you see, that you see lacking in, in, in D.C., is because I, I believe there's two things. I believe that there's clearly an argument that can be made for the, you know, all of the, you know, defense contracts and all that stuff. You can't not make an argument for that. It has to be there. But then I think the other problem is that, you know, those those types of people that would have a say, have a voice in what how we wage war, 
goes back to something we said earlier. They don't understand violence. Mm. They don't have the capacity to appreciate what violence really means. So that's, for them, that's why they couldn't understand people in the Middle East. Exactly. They, they were like, oh, we'll fucking high five them and they'll go on about their business. Like, no, you've got to slap them, actually. I know it doesn't feel right to you, but you've got to walk up to this man and humiliate him, emasculate him in front of all the other men, just like a lion fights the, the pride leader and takes over the pride. Yeah. That's, I know that it sucks and it seems very bizarre to you. But that's how it fucking works. And the difference is that you have to know. It's not necessarily just knowing your enemy. Mm. You have to know how they how they you know, ask these ask these people that are involved in voting for war, voting for us to go into a conflict, and ask them if they actually understand the culture that we're going to. Do they understand what it means to do this? Do they understand that some we can't just use the same playbook that we've been using for the last 50 years and expect to see a different outcome, mm-hmm. right? So my my biggest problem, and I think we're starting to see a somewhat of a change in, in some of the political circles. You're seeing more, more veterans, mm advancing and being elected into positions and political positions which i think is as much as people don't like the idea oh he's a warrior well you know what it's probably pretty nice to have that perspective that can give or share insight that you lack wouldn't you want to have that information all available information before you pass pass some sort of or or a vote on whether or not to send american lives to their death well at nasa they have astronauts and they have engineers yeah. And the astronauts do not tell the engineers what to do ever. Yeah. Right. They give them feedback like, hey, this is more practical for what we're trying to do. And then the engineers tell them if that's possible or not. Yeah. But that is a two way street from both directions. It's a great model. You know what I mean? Like you, that's the only way that something hyper dangerous can ever be efficient. It's too bad that, you know, right now having a, having a, a member, a political position filled with a veteran has got such a negative stereotype written mm. over it. It's it really is because I feel like the biggest <clears throat> the biggest value that having particularly a combat veteran in office is he understands what's at stake. Mm. And he if 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 he feels there's an other option available, he's going to pursue that. He or she will pursue that. It's not just numbers on a piece of paper. Exactly. That's, that's your buddy they, that died. Exactly. You know I mean? They understand it, and they're they're willing to they're willing to exhaust every diplomatic option. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat. Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket. Outsourcing business tasks you hate. What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available. Yeah. But they also understand that when there's no more diplomacy available, hey, I need to step back and let the boys do know do yeah. what they know how to do. Yeah. And uh, what you know how to do is train, and that's what you do now. Tell me about Trident. Yeah. So Trident Council has been around for about 20-plus years. We are a nationally <laughs> recognized training company. Uh, you know, do uh, the, the the standard gamut of special, you know, specialized weapons and tactics type mm. stuff. We, we do it for both military, law enforcement, and uh, within the last probably eight years, the private citizenry has been very, very interested. And I would say even in the last couple of years, you know, with since the pandemic, uh, we've seen the private citizens, um, the the new gun owners just take to take to the range. Mm-hmm. And it's a great it's a, it's a it's a really and I know that you can appreciate this because what we're seeing is we're seeing people that are actually exercising their constitutional rights. Yeah, they're actually, yeah. you know, it, it may have been just a, a you know, like a. A conversation they have at a at a dinner party. Oh yeah, second amendment, blah blah blah. But now they're actually acting upon that. They're actually moving in a direction where they can. And I, on, I honestly have a lot more respect for a lot of them now these days because now they've become invested in it. Yeah. Because before it was just a nebulous concept. Mm. Now it's it's more real. It's more visceral to them, yeah. and they have become some of the best uh, role models and ambassadors and and even. Um, recruiters mm. for us yeah this, this yeah, new yeah. generation if you will. yeah one of my buddies Maj Tori is like that he he runs black guns matter I don't yeah know yeah yeah. That guy. yeah yeah he's he, he's responsible for more black people in america turning to the two-way than anybody i think probably right? he's I, I met him a couple years ago and watched him grow and and the the work that he's done hugely valuable yeah. and, and the thing <clears> i tell people is is like yeah I, you know, it's the old saying, I'd rather be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. Yeah. And train, train people, let them make their own minds Mm -hmm. up. Because what you find a lot of times is that if if you can, if you can provide the the training education to allow them to make decisions on their own, they're way more informed decisions. Now they're choosing a better outcome and a better pathway for them and their families, which is, which is so important these days. And and we saw this particularly here in Texas in Austin, you know, um, when there was an indoor range not too far from here, South Austin on on I thirty five called the Range at Austin. Mm-hmm. And when that first opened up, I was the director of training there. Mm-hmm. It was great because it was like ten minutes from downtown, so we saw a lot of people that didn't fit the stereotype for the traditional two A supporter. Yeah. And you know, when Governor Perry left office, one of the things that he did was he raped California of the tech industry. He made it almost in, he made them offers they couldn't refuse to relocate here to Texas, especially in Central Texas. And so we saw a lot of those tech companies relocate here, and they brought obviously their employees. And many of those employees have the same mindset that they had in California here, but many of them don't. Many of them have actually changed when they've gotten a a feel or a sense of what real freedom is. Mm. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying Texas is a perfect state, but it's certainly better than California. Yeah. Yeah, And so when they all of a sudden start to see these freedoms, these liberties that they actually get to, to to embrace and be up and to, to, to actually believe in, they have turned into some of the most vocal to a supporters. And it's, it's not surprising because, you know, for, for, for however long they were, 
force-fed a narrative mm-hmm. that we both know is completely false. Yeah, it's bullshit. It's total bullshit. And so all of a sudden, a lot of them are still still a little upset by that. But mm-hmm. but many of them, they're middle middle-aged, um, highly educated, successful, you know, adult children. And so they are smart enough now to actually say, wait a minute, all that shit that you just gave me was bullshit. Yeah. I, don't, I don't believe any of that anymore, and I'm going to mm-hmm. do what's right for me and my family. Yeah. And we saw, I mean, you know, this is also, I got a chance to see the woke culture at, um, at work because many of them obviously work in, a, in an environment that is not too A-friendly. Mm-hmm. And they would... I mean, they did everything they could to keep that under wraps. Mm. Like they couldn't, they couldn't share the fact they went to the range, they got their LTC, they bought their first gun with anybody. They were like the, they were like the perfect closet to a supporter. Yeah. Until finally, you know, you throw a pandemic, you defund the police, you have uh, violent riots in our cities, and people start to change their perspectives. Yeah. Well, liberty is, uh, <clears throat> it's a muscle, right? Oh, I and like it'll, that. It'll atrophy. That's why Reagan said that liberty is always one generation away from extinction. You know what I mean? I've never thought of liberty like a muscle. Yeah. That is a perfect analogy. Yeah. If you don't use it, it goes away, man. God, That's I love that. Is. That is huge. I love that. Um, and you wrote, you just on that topic, you wrote, um, you know, just providing value to the community, I guess. You wrote the Concealed Carry Manual, which is one of the, you know, one of the go-to books on the subject. It was. It was a huge... Um, it was like, so, you know, fortunately for me, I got a chance to do a lot of low-vis work, both mm-hmm. on active duty and after that. And the concealed carry market is a perfect fit for that type of experience. So I was able to, to digest that all at a point in time. Because what I saw was I saw so many of these new gun owners wanting to get their license to carry, wanting to carry concealed, but there not really being a lot of resources available yeah. for them. Shooting I mean, there's guns. a lot of bad resources on That's fucking true. YouTube and shit like that. <laughs> a lot of knuckleheads. That's heads. very true. And I would tell people that as well. It's like, you know, I can, I, I get, you know, this is the modern medium that you're learning from. But I still believe in the power of the word, written word. Mm-hmm. And I love mm-hmm. writing. And the book was, uh, you know, basically a, a, a condensed version of my experience in a way that the new gun owner, somebody new to concealed carry could actually value like t- yeah. tooth to tail gave yeah. them everything understanding the the mechanics of it especially di- the like the difference between like it does, if i'm printing out in public right now there's not that big of a problem <sighs> with it but if you're in a non-permissive environment you know what i mean and you train to the highest possible standard right I, so so trained if, if you're if you're a new gun owner um honestly i recommend putting dummy rounds in it and carrying it around every second of your life for about a month or two before you ever put ammo in that goddamn thing but uh, certainly training to the standard of being in a non-pervasive environment because you don't know if somebody's going to walk up behind you and snatch that gun wow. out. If you're, if, you're, if you're carrying a dangerous weapon in public and you don't have the ability to retain it, mm. then you you've, may as well just go hand a gun to a fucking criminal. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, a lot of times I get the question, like, what are your, what's your stance on open carry versus concealed carry? Mm. And my, my, it's the same. I, I support your right and decision to do that. I don't agree with it. Yeah. Because of the things that you just said. It's a tactical disadvantage. It's for sure. huge. You know, you're giving up one of the main elements that you have at your disposal, which is surprise. Mm-hmm. Huge, huge thing. And I try to get people like, I think I try to like, what camp do you fall into? Why do you, why do you want to open carry? Do you fall into the camp that is trying to, uh, you know, promote the second amendment and this is your way of, of mm-hmm. protesting in a peaceful manner. Okay, great. 
but just realize that you're putting your, you're still putting yourself at risk. If you're going to do that, mm. like that's great to do it, like maybe at the, you know at the stair steps of the Capitol when it's an active, involved kind of organization, organized kind of process. But to do it just every day, yeah, it's weird you, to me. You start to see the diminished returns on your investment at that point. Mm. First of all, you're not convincing anybody out in the streets that they're going to all of a sudden yeah. decide to be a two A supporter. But what you do is you put yourself at a higher risk of an altercation. You know, uh, I watched a video literally this morning before I came here of a poor guy that had his firearm taken off of him at a gas station Mm -hmm. inside paying for gas. And it happens so fast. So my caution to people, if you're coming into the market and the other thing too, I want to, I want to make sure that I address is the mindset. If you're carrying the firearm on your hip because you're, you're hoping that it's going to ward off evil. That's not how it works. Mm -mm. Unfortunately, what you're actually doing is you're attracting evil because for a criminal to obtain a firearm, if they're a criminal, they can't legally purchase a Mm -hmm. firearm. So the only way for them to get it is to steal it. And they're going to steal it from home invasions, car break-ins, or on body is a popular, it's become super popular because believe it or not, it's easy to do it. It really is. So I discourage... I discourage new gun owners from um, moving into the open carry market. I mean, there's a time and a place for it, you know, like, sure, you're going to, whatever, you're going to and from the range. Okay, fine, yeah. whatever. You're, you're on your property, you're, you're hunting. Okay, fine, sure, whatever. But as a as a default setting for your everyday life, I, I just feel like you give up too much. That surprise mm-hmm. element is just way too valuable yeah. to just throw away. I mean, think, think about it from the point of view of the criminal. Let's say you're in a store and the store is getting robbed. Yeah. You're getting shot first, dude. Or like you're, you, you don't you don't have the ability. If you get surprised by this human being at all, you're dead. The other thing I tell people is that, okay, so the worst case <clears throat> is that you get shot and killed because you had an open carry gun. Mm. But less worse, you don't die, mm. is that now you're the attention of the criminal. Mm. And you've lost any opportunity for you, to, unless you have like a master class draw, draw speed, yeah. you're not going to outdraw a gun. No. That's already pointed at no. you. The, the most... Common use of a concealed weapon, by the way, is in defense of a third party. Yeah. Like almost, yeah. I think it's 67%, something like that. It's a very public. high number. It's a, and it's the a super point, high number. You know, and that's the point is, is that, that that becomes a possibility because the criminal enterprise did not observe you with a firearm. <clears throat> if they had observed you with a firearm, you probably would have been the subject of the crime. So you have to kind of keep things in perspective. So yeah. boys and girls, if you're new to carrying concealed, it's your right to open carry you should think it through and and really weigh the pros and cons before you do it. Yeah, I agree 100%. Uh, before we get out of here, uh, tell me about the podcast. Uh, so we started a podcast probably a year and a half ago. Bulletproof Workshop is what it's called. And my, my intention with that was to to talk with successful people, not about their success, but but about their failures, mm-hmm. about their lessons learned, about the challenges that they faced, and more importantly, how did they overcome that? You know, like what what little tips can they share with the audience about overcoming these types of obstacles to becoming successful? Because that's what we all want. We want to be successful in some way, shape, or form. It's defined differently for everyone, but there's a model, and I've I've noticed trends and patterns emerge from all these because we've we've talked to people from all different walks of life, different professions. Different, you know, not, not everybody's come from the two A. In fact, I would say right. more than half of them don't come from the two A community. And it's 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 a it's a it's really valuable for me to sit there and talk to somebody and and how did you overcome these challenges? You know, I'm I'm still learning. I'm still trying to figure out myself in this life time, and and I don't have all the answers. So, and one of the things that I try to do, and I you know, 
it's a it's a tip of the hat towards the poem which is to beautify my life and i feel that the way that i can do that is by learning to do things better like whatever it is that i'm doing how mm. can i do it better yeah and when i see somebody that's successful that's doing it better i want to learn from them i want to figure out how did they do it what can i do to help you know improve my uh, you know my ability to do that and so it's been a lot of fun i i, I did not expect to like it as much as i did i've been a guest on many shows but to sit in your seat and and be the actual host mm-hmm. i didn't think i was going to like it as much as i actually did it's a little bit yeah i mean i enjoy it just because i get to learn stuff yeah you know it's it's uh i've talked to like nobel prize winners for example Dude. uh uh we've had oscar winners on the shows wow yeah it's like it's pretty it's pretty sweet yeah lie. and that's the thing it's like <sighs> You know, somebody like yourself and myself, the the the, the insatiable appetite for knowledge mm. and learning and and in, and perfecting ourselves is something that I can I, I don't ever see going away. No, it'll never go away. That's why we will keep doing this. Yeah, because um, you know, I mean, I think it provides value too, but it it's not. This isn't all you know. Uh, uh, self-sacrifice here. Yeah, I, I get a lot out of this. I, that's what I said. I I would say that. <clears throat> I get more out of it. I get, I shouldn't say it this way, but I, it's kind of how I look at it. I do this selfishly because I want to get better. Mm. Well, hopefully we got a little better today. Oh, hell yeah. Um, hopefully you guys will get a little Liberty better. Liberty is a muscle, man. Yeah, I fucking is, yeah. love that. Yeah. That is going on. I'm taking that for sure. Yeah, take it. Everything I say is uh, free. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, thanks for coming today, man. I My pleasure, it. brother. Yeah, and uh, thank you all for listening. This has been Citizen.